I want to encourage you to keep praying for Wayne. He's still having some health issues, so hopefully this week uh, he'll be able to, to, uh, to feel better, so, so be lifting him up. Um, uh, well, this year, as all of you know, the Cubs won the World Series, right? And there was a lot of celebration about that, uh, probably some weeping and gnashing of teeth in Ohio, but... But uh, overall, there was a, a, lot of, a lot of joy about this. And I read about a fan, maybe you heard about her, named Hazel Nielsen. She's 108 years old, and it turns out that she was a baby the first time uh, the, the Cubs won the World Series. And she had grown up near Wrigley Field, and so she had been a lifelong Cubs fan, just waiting for, for them to, uh, to have that kind of victory and to take that kind of victory and at 108 years old, she was watching every play of the game and cheering. And, and she rejoiced the, in the fact that she got to see the Cubs finally win the World Series. Now, you could say that Miss Nielsen was a resolute Cubs fan, couldn't you? Because she had waited over 100 years to see them win the World Series. That's something to think about. Um, this morning, I want us to think about what it means to be resolute but not in the sense of being a fan for a sports team. But I want us to think about what it means to be resolute to the mission that God has given us. What does it mean to be resolute, to be steadfast in all that God has called us to? We know that in this world we face all kinds of difficulty and hardships. Uh, be it things that happen in our own lives personally and, and all that's going on in our nation and, and in our culture. The question is this. How do we remain resolute in the face of all of this difficulty, in the face of all of this hardship? Well, Nehemiah is going to give us um, a great example of one who is resolute in the face of much hardship. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. You'll remember that the Babylonians had been used by God to bring judgment upon his people Judah. His people had disobeyed him. They had rebelled against him over and over and over again. And so finally, God used the nation of Babylon to, to bring judgment upon his people. And so all of the people who had any kind of influence at all were taken into captivity in Babylon. And so God's people had to stay in Babylon for a number of years but God would raise up the Persians and the Persians would come and they would wipe out Babylon. And the Persians permitted the Jews to return to their homeland. And so uh, Jews came and they began to rebuild the temple, but still the city of Jerusalem was in shambles. It was a terrible mess. The walls around the city hadn't been built and walls were crucial for the defense of a city and for the, the well-being or the flourishing of a city. The walls around Jerusalem were devastated. And so God used a man named Nehemiah who had been a, a person of influence in the Persian Empire, a Jew, of course. And so Nehemiah came back to Jerusalem and he began to lead the people uh, in rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And we've seen as we've journeyed through the book of Nehemiah all sorts of difficulties. I mean, one after the other, there was always some kind of opposition. And that theme continues this morning. The mission that God had given Nehemiah and the Jews was this, rebuild the wall. The mission that God has given us as the church is this. It's to go and make disciples. It's to share the gospel with people and see people respond to him and begin to be discipled and nurtured in the faith. That's the mission of the church. And so when we think about the mission 
that God has given us, when we think about being resolute and fulfilling the mission that God has given us, that's what we need to have before us. It's to make his name known. It's to make disciples. So let's look together at Nehemiah chapter 6. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakfarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Samballot for the fifth time sent a servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Skip down to verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. So we see in verse 1 that the wall had basically been built uh, all around the perimeter of the city. Now, all of the work wasn't complete because the gate still needed some attention and and needed to be set up. But in the midst of, of... This wall being built, the enemies of the Jews are still trying to stop what's happening in Jerusalem. They're still trying to to prevent the mission from being accomplished. So so what does Samballad and and Tobiah do? Well, they send uh, uh, for Nehemiah to come and to meet them. Now, he would have been leaving the city of Jerusalem. At this point, there are uh, walls of defense around the city. And so he'd be leaving Jerusalem to go and meet on the uh, plains of Ono, which probably was some area in northwest Judah. At any, at any rate, it's clear their intent was to murder Nehemiah, to harm him. And, and Nehemiah saw that. He could, he could understand that. And so what does he say to them? He says, you know what? You want to meet with me? You want to act as if we're going to have some great uh, show of diplomacy where we meet and try to work through problems? He says, I've been given a task by God, and I will not stop. He says, I've been given a great work. I've got the responsibility to make sure that this thing comes together and I'm not going to stop. I will not come down. Four times they they entreat him to meet and he says no. And then a fifth time, what does Sam Ballard do? Well, he circulates an open letter. Isn't that always a a great way to to try to uh, to harm a leader? Circulates this open letter full of lies and what's the, what's the intent of the letter? It's to make false claims. It's to say the reason that Nehemiah was leading the Jews and rebuilding the wall was so that they could rebel against the king of Persia. And they could uh, uh, oppose the government that, that had responsibility for, for that territory. And Nehemiah says to Sam Ballot, you're making all of this stuff up. It's not the truth. But what we see in verse 9 is that the intent of these folks was to frighten Nehemiah, to frighten the Jews. And we're going to see this as a theme all throughout chapter 6. The goal is that they might frighten the people of God out of fulfilling the mission that God had given them, that they might scare them into stopping. But notice what Nehemiah does in verse 9. He stops and he prays to God. He says, God, strengthen my hands. Why? Because he understood that in his own strength, he could not accomplish the, the mission that God had given him. 
So he's trusting God by faith that God will move and, and help him to accomplish the mission that has been given. At any rate here, we see Nehemiah refusing to give in to fear. We see him refusing to give in to distraction even. Let's look in verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me again. Because Tobiah and Samballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in a way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name. Now, Samballat and Tobiah use another strategy. They hire uh, a false prophet who's within Jerusalem. I want you to understand that this is a Jew. This is not someone from the outside. This is someone from within. So, so they hire Shemaiah, and Shemaiah says to him, hey, listen, these guys are coming against you. They're ready to kill you. And that's a believable story Be- because it was clear that Nehemiah understood their desire was to harm him. And so he said, hey, come, and let's hide out in the temple. Let's meet in the temple. Well, Nehemiah was a layman. He wasn't a priest. He was a, uh, uh, a government leader, but not the spiritual leader or, or serving as a priest. So he couldn't enter the temple like that. And so the hope was that Shemaiah would lure him into the temple to hide, out from the peop- to hide out from those who would come to harm him because they would never expect a layman, Nehemiah, to be in the temple. But in the end, what was going to happen is the Jews were going to find out that Nehemiah had hid away in the temple and it was a place that he did not belong. It would have been in clear and open disregard for the law of God. So it was to discredit him in the eyes of the people. But Nehemiah didn't believe it for a minute. He didn't give in to uh, the lies of this false prophet. Now, I want you to understand how great the fear could have been at this point. These enemies of the Jews really wanted to harm Nehemiah. They really wanted to, to hurt him, to harm him, perhaps even to kill him. So it would have been very believable. I want you to imagine for a moment that there is a plot against your life. That there is someone who really does want to kill you. And then someone comes to you and says, hey, listen, so-and-so is planning to kill you. Here's what you need to do. Man, your heart's going to be beating, isn't it? This is going to produce some real fear. But you do not see Nehemiah giving in. He does not give in to the fear Look in verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, a lull in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, Skipping down to verse 19, also they spoke of his good deeds and in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. So in verse 15, the wall is finished. That the wall's done, the the gates are set up. This project has been accomplished, and it's been accomplished in 52 days. Uh, The month of Elul is our August or September. So, So this wall is here. It's up, 
And it was clear to the enemies of God that this was the work of God. It was not the work of man. It was not the work of Nehemiah. It was the work of God Almighty. And suddenly these enemies who had been so arrogant and been so proud, well, their pride just melted away because what they had tried to oppose all this time would not be stopped because it was the work of God. It was a move of God. Now, Nehemiah gives us a footnote here in verses 17 and following. He says, you know what, Tobiah. Of course, Tobiah was not a Jew, but he married a Jew, and his son married a Jew. And so, of course, intermarriage was was sinful. And I don't mean marriage between the races, but I mean marriage between someone who is a, uh, has a relationship with God, who is a part of the people of God, and someone who was not a part of the people of God. So the Jews couldn't marry those who were not fellow Jews. Just like today, Christians should not marry someone who's not a committed believer. And so Tobiah had married Jews, but not just Jews. These were, uh, he, had, he had married a Jew that was in the leadership class or among the nobility. And so this created all sorts of complications. And we've, we've looked at this earlier in the book as well. But there were a lot of leaders of the Jews who were opposing Nehemiah. So Nehemiah wants to see this wall built. And a lot of the leaders within the people of God were really working against him. And so they had these allegiances with Tobiah. And here we see that, that Tobiah had financial arrangements and held some of them in oath. And so what I want you to get is this. Nehemiah is leading But he's facing opposition, not just from the outside, but he's facing opposition from the leadership within the people of God. That's a heavy weight to bear when the people on the inside are working against you. And and that's clearly what's happening here. Some of them would would be in, in front of Nehemiah and they would say, oh, Tobiah is such a great man. And so they would try to torment Nehemiah by praising his enemy. And then they would turn around and they would take what Nehemiah said and they would go and tell Tobiah. And so there was this game playing, there was this undercurrent of opposing Nehemiah and yet being kind to him to his face. Now, I'm wanting us to get that picture because rarely will many of us be in a situation that's this dire, that's this difficult when it comes to to answering the call of God, when it comes to fulfilling the mission that God has given us. He was in a tough situation, facing opposition from every direction, from every direction. Let's look in chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Now, we won't, we won't continue, but here, he sets up leaders in, in Jerusalem. Uh, we get a list of the exiles who returned, and we, we get a picture of kind of the gifts that people brought for, for the service of God. In essence, what we see is that things are being put in place. While the city was devastated, When Nehemiah came, now the wall is built. The city can defend itself. The moral of the people is strengthened. And now things are being set right. Godly leaders are being put in place. And and, and offerings are being taken. and, And things are happening the way they ought to be happening. And so the mission that God had given Nehemiah has been accomplished. Now we'll see later in chapter 13 that the mission's never over. As long as we're on this side of heaven. But as we reflect on this text, it is clear that we must be resolute in accomplishing the mission that God has given us. We must be resolute. Let's consider five traits that we see in Nehemiah for being resolute. First, to be resolute, you must have focus. You must have focus. What do we see in verse 3? Nehemiah refused to stop the work to to meet with these yahoos. He, He wouldn't do it. 
He was committed to doing what God had called him to do. Now, what about you? What is it that keeps you from fulfilling the mission that God has given you? What's the mission that God's given us? It's to make his name great. It's to tell others about Jesus. It's to disciple people. Part of that mission means that we're going to be spending time alone with the Lord in prayer and in his word. What is it that keeps you from doing that? Are you daily spending time in the word, reading the word, letting the word shape your heart? Are you daily spending time in prayer, praying for people that God might have you try to reach out to? Are you praying for the the mission of this congregation as a body of believers, as a family of faith, to be furthered and strengthened? Or is it that so many things out there have you distracted? Are you coming down every little bit? You see, Nehemiah wouldn't come down. He He had a task to complete. Are you turning your focus on countless other things instead of the things that really matter in fulfillment of the mission? Are you seeking to build strategic relationships so that you can tell other people about Jesus? Or are you so busy with life? Well, one of these days I'll get to all of that. You don't see that here with Nehemiah. You see a clear commitment to stay at it, to do what God had called him to do. So accomplishing the mission takes focus. Second, uh, to be resolute, you must have faith. You must have faith. In verse 9, we see that Nehemiah wasn't relying on his own strength. And how terrible it is to have a huge task to accomplish and to somehow believe we can do it on our own. The mission that God has given us, brothers and sisters, can't be accomplished in our own strength. It requires the work of God. It requires um, the move of God. And Nehemiah had faith. He was confident that God would help him, that God would enable him. So as you think about the mission that God has given you, maybe you're trying to share Jesus with a friend. And you're trying to come up with the right opportunity and the right words to say, this is what I want to say to you, brother and sister. Be encouraged. Pray. Pray and ask God to give you the words and then step out and start start building the wall. Step out and share Jesus. Trust that God will be at work. Have faith that he'll use you. Just like Nehemiah did. Um, Maybe you teach kiddos here at church on Sunday morning or at Awana on Wednesday night, and maybe it feels like you're just banging your head against the wall and teaching. It feels like sometimes none of them are listening. Friends, pray that God will use your words and your ministry and your effort and pray for the hearts of those kids, and then you have faith that God will be at work. You have faith that God will move. We move forward in the mission that God has given us with faith. And then we trust God to accomplish what he has called us to do. So pray passionately, regularly for God's help in these things. Pray that as a congregation, that we'll be faithful, that we'll be faithful to make his name known here and and ultimately around the world because accomplishing the mission takes faith in God. It takes faith in God. Now, I want to share with you a part of what's on my required reading list at this stage of my life. I want to share uh, a short few words from Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. Now, we will not be here long, I can assure you. So, so Dr. Seuss is talking about how you've got, there's going to be all these great things happening and how you're going to lift high and, and you're going to do great. And then he says this, you, you won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. 
Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you'll top all the rest, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch, and your gang will fly on, and you'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump, and the chances are then that you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know if you know the Lord Jesus and you are striving to be faithful to the call that God has given you, you don't have to unslump yourself. That's the good news. Yeah, if you're walking apart from Christ, you've got to unslump yourself. But if you know Jesus, you move forward in his mission, you pray in faith, and you trust that the Lord will empower you and enable you, and he'll be the one who unslumps us. He'll be the one that enables us to be faithful to the call that he's given us. So we're not on our own. Let's move forward in faith and let's trust that as we seek to be faithful to the mission that God has given us, whether we see countless difficulty and hardship, we trust that he will be faithful. Let's serve him faithfully. Let's pray in faith and let's move forward. Let's let him accomplish his work through us. So we must have focus and we must have faith. Third, to be resolute, you must have courage. You must have courage. Verse 11, we see this. Nehemiah knew that the mission belonged to God and he was willing to stand. He wasn't going to run in fear. He was going to stand. We must be courageous. We must be willing to count the cost no matter what that is. You see, serving Christ You know what? If you want to serve Christ faithfully, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you time. If you want to be a part of the mission that God has given, it means you're going to have to give something up. There's no way that you can dedicate the kind of time that it takes to pour into other people's lives or to minister to others or to to help others, to, to disciple others. You can't do that without a serious commitment of time. And so I ask you, if you know the Lord Jesus, are you Are you willing to give up the time that it takes to to, to serve him faithfully? It takes courage in our day. It's kind of a silly thing to imagine, but it takes courage in our day to say no to a lot of the things that people want you to be a part of. But we have to say no to something so that we can do the things that matter most. So that we can answer the call that God has has given us and placed in our lives of, of making his name known. So you're going to have to have courage. You're going to have a willingness to give up time. You may have to give up friends. It could be that the crew that you run with pushes you away from the Lord and pushes you to, to, instead of walk faithfully with him or serve him faithfully, pushes you to give your time to things that are silly or to give your love and your your passions to things that are sinful. And so you may need to give up for. You may need to give up friends. You, 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 may, you may have to, to give that up. For many, to faithfully follow Christ will really mean that you give up your social standing. Because, uh, you know, you, you want to you be like everybody else. You want to fit in. You don't want to be that, that one who's kind of awkward and says, hey, I can't do that. Everyone else maybe is, is uh, participating in some sort of a, a business deal that, that's unethical or, you know, really is kind of gray. And as a believer, you say, I can't go there. I can't go there. Oh, come on. Give me a break. 
You, you think you're so high and mighty. You think you're so righteous. You see, it may cost us relationships. It may cost us social standing. It may cost us business opportunity. But if you're going to be faithful to the call that God has given you, you must have courage so that you're willing to pay the price. We need, in, in the church today, we need some men who will step up and say, you know what? I'm going to be a, a man of courage. I'm going to stand and I'm going to set the example for other folks. My, I'm going to set the example for, for my wife and for my children. And I'm going to set the example for, for others in the church. We need some of those kind of men. And we need some of those kind of women who are willing to stand for the gospel. Who are willing to be committed to the mission that God has given. Because accomplishing the mission is going to take courage. So we must have focus, we must have faith, we must have courage. Fourth, to be resolute, you must have perseverance. You must have perseverance. You can't give up in the face of great opposition, in the face of much trouble. You can't lose heart. You gotta keep going forward. Now dads and moms, maybe when you're teaching your child at home, you're, you're trying to, to read the Bible with them or you're trying to have family worship times together or you're trying to sing with them and maybe it seems to you like your child isn't, isn't listening. Maybe it seems to you like, oh, we're trying to go through this again. It's pointless. I'm saying to you, don't lose heart. God's given you the mission of discipling your kid in, in, in the Lord. He's given you the responsibility, Father, to pastor your family. to to lead your family. He's given you parents the responsibility to shape those kids in Jesus and to love, to teach them to love Jesus. So don't lose heart. If those teenagers are like, oh, do we have to do this again? Yes, I love you, we do. Let's do it. Now, don't get me wrong, don't do like a 30 or 45 minute lecture, you're gonna kill them, but but get them in the word and and pray and, and, and and, and help them to see that the Lord is shaping you and he needs to be shaping them. Persevere in teaching and training your children in the Lord. And as a church, we, we don't lose heart. Maybe we come across some bumps in the road here or there. Maybe we face some challenges here or there, but we do not lose heart. We move ahead. God's given us a mission and we move forward no matter the challenges that we face. You see, if we are going to accomplish the mission, we must have perseverance. So we must have focus, faith, courage, perseverance. And fifth, to be resolute, you must have grit. And in many ways, grit is the combination of all the things that we've already talked about. You've got to have grit. I want you, again, to think back to Nehemiah facing the kind of troubles that he would have faced from within. The fact that those Jewish uh, uh, nobles and leaders opposed him and were, were kind of playing games with him. Imagine how easy it would have been to have just said, you know what, I'm done here. I'm going back to Persia where I can be in the palace and everything will be good. I'm done with these Jews. I'm done with these. But he didn't do it. Why? Because he had grit. He knew that God had called him and there wasn't anything that was going to stop him. Not because of his own strength, but because of the strength and the calling of God in his life. So we must be ready to stand in the face of any kind of opposition, even when that opposition comes from within. You know, as you think about a a faith family, as you think about a church, sometimes opposition for for the mission comes from within. Sometimes you have a group who will will come and and begin to try to work division. Thankfully, I'm not speaking to anything that I think is happening in our faith family right now, but that happens in churches. You have a group that begins to try to work division, not uh, on a firm commitment to the word, but 
but because maybe they, have a, uh, they, they want their way or something like that. But when those kinds of things happen, brothers and sisters, we must be resolute. We must have grit and say, we're going to stand. We're going to stand for what the word says. Or sometimes even within the family of God, you have, a, you have false teaching arise. We see the New Testament's filled with exhortations to be careful about false teaching. So even from within the church, we can, we can see threats arise. And those are perhaps the most dangerous kinds of threats. And yet, brothers and sisters, to be faithful, we must be a people of grit who trust that God is going to give us the strength and the courage and the stamina to keep going in fulfillment of the mission. So are your coworkers perhaps relentless in, in, in making a joke of you because of your faith? Maybe when they begin to talk in a way that is sinful and, and dark, you kind of step away. And they give you a hard time. Hey, come on, man. It's just good fun. You don't have to be so uptight. Are they relentless in opposing you? I say, in God's good grace, you have grit, my brother. You stand. Have grit. By God's strength, keep going. What about, what about this? Maybe you're married and, and your husband is not a man of faith and you know the Lord Jesus and he doesn't. And for you to be a part of church and maybe even to have the kids in church is really a challenge because he's always saying, hey, let's go do this. Let's go do that. Oh, you're not going to give? You're not going to give? Come on, give me a break. You can't do that. And to be faithful in the midst of that kind of pressure coming from within your own family, it takes grit. But I'm telling you, if we would be faithful to the mission that God has given us. In God's strength, we can have grit, that, that ability to stand and to move ahead no matter the cost. So whatever the, the situation is where you face difficulty and opposition and fulfilling the mission of God, I urge you in the strength and the power of God to stand. Accomplishing the mission that God has given us takes grit. I read this past week about a lady named Audrey Johnson. She was born in the uh, early years of the 20th century. She was born in England to a, a Christian family, dedicated Christian family. But she went off to school in France and she came under the influence of secular philosophies. And, and she became an agnostic. Uh, and that brought her to a place of great despair as she pondered what the end of, of secular philosophy meant. And so finally she came to the place of great despair that she cried out to Jesus, remembering that he said, whoever believes in him shall live. And so she said to the Lord Jesus, I know I've gone my own way. I know I've tried to chart my own path, but God, I don't want that anymore. I believe in you and I want to follow you. And, and Audrey Johnson dedicated her life to faithfully answering the call of God and what was the call that God had placed in her life? It was to make his name known. In fact, as a young woman, she went to, to serve with the China Inland Mission. And during World War II, when the Japanese uh, invaded China, she was held in a prisoner of war camp for nearly three years. Following this, she returned to England for a time of recovery, and her heart was in China, and she went back to China and began to teach about the Lord there. And during this time, she was put under house arrest by the communist government. And so eventually she left China and made it back, uh, and, and made it back to England. And she would eventually find herself 
in California. And a group of five women said to her, will you teach us the Bible? Because she had dedicated her life to the, to the study of the word. She believed that God's word was absolutely true. And for that reason, she had studied it like crazy. And she knew the word. And so she wasn't that eager to start this Bible study. But these ladies, uh, they, they stayed after. And so she began that Bible study with five women. It began to grow. And soon she was enlisted to, to lead the follow-up efforts uh, to to, uh, to follow up with people who'd made decision, uh, decision at uh, Billy Graham Crusade in the Bay uh, Area of California. And suddenly, her ministry grew in a huge way, and she was tre- teaching and training women. And the organization called Bible Study Fellowship was founded. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. It's an organization that seeks to get women to study the Word and to learn the Word. It's not a cheerleading session or rah, 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 and and everybody goes home and we all feel excited. No, it's a deep study of the Word of God. And that's her legacy. It lives on. But I want you to understand that Miss Johnson faced all kinds of hardship. And brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord Jesus and you would be used by him to fulfill the mission of making him known, of making disciples, you're going to face all sorts of troubles. Will you, by faith, walk in him? Will you stand? Will you be resolute? My prayer is that we will, that each one of us who are a part of this faith family, that we'll be resolute. Now, I want you to know, if you're here today and you've never truly turned your life over to Christ, there's never been a turning point in your life where you've said to him, you know what? I've gone my own way, but now I want to follow you. Much like you heard Ben share about. If that's never happened in your life, maybe you've sort of just drifted along, sort of religious, going to church some. Maybe you were baptized when you were little. Maybe you walked an aisle. All those kinds of things. But there was never really a change in your life. I want to say to you today that when when Jesus comes into your heart, there's a change. There's a change. Yeah, you can, you can take some, some crooks here and there as a believer, but ultimately, if you know Jesus, there'll be a change. So if you're here and you've done religious things, but there's never been a real change in your life, do you know what God is saying to you? He's saying to you, today you can believe. Today you can become a child of God. Why? Because Jesus left heaven and he took our place. You want to talk about being resolute. The Lord Jesus was resolute in fulfilling the mission that God had given him. What mission was that? The mission that God had given Jesus was to come and to rescue his children. To come that that those of us in sin might have our sin washed away and that we might be forgiven. So today I ask you, has that ever happened in your life? Has there ever been a turning point where you've said to Jesus, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I believe you came and lived and died and rose again, and I want to follow you. If that's never happened this morning, I want you to know there's nothing more important in your life. This makes the difference, yes, for all eternity. Join me in prayer.